0: Welcome to the RRT Podcast. My name is Richard Triggs and today's guest is Barry Robinson, President and Managing Director of Wyndham Vacation Resorts Asia Pacific and Wyndham Hotel Group Southeast Asia and Pacific Rim. it's great to have you along today i really enjoyed my conversation with barry he's not somebody i'd met prior to doing this interview however i really liked his style he'd been out for a surf in the morning prior to meeting with me and after we finished he was off to have a yoga class and yet at the same time he's running a very large very successful and no doubt very challenging business so i'm always impressed by people who've been able to get some kind of work-life balance, or as I prefer to say, work-life flexibility into their lives, and Barry certainly demonstrated that on the day. Before I introduce him to you properly, let me introduce myself to those who are new to the Arate podcast. My name is Richard Triggs and I'm the managing partner of Arate Executive, and we recruit CEOs, senior leaders, and non-executive directors for our clients throughout Australia. If you have any recruitment needs within your own business, I would welcome the opportunity to have a talk to you about how we can assist. Let me now introduce to you Barry. Barry Robinson joined Wyndham Vacation Resorts, Asia Pacific in September 2003 as CEO and Managing Director. And in 2009 launched Wyndham Hotel Group Southeast Asia and the Pacific Rim. Barry has been the driving force behind many significant new property acquisitions, enhanced resort developments, and has brought a renewed customer focus to the business. Under his leadership, both Wyndham Vacation Resorts Asia Pacific and Wyndham Hotel Group have expanded their portfolios throughout Australia, New Zealand, the South Pacific and Southeast Asia. In this region, Barry oversees an asset portfolio in excess of $1 billion Australian, with more than 180 hotel and vacation resort properties, either open or under development. With more than 30 years hospitality experience, Barry has a vast knowledge of the hotel and resort industry, from management, operations, development, branding and franchising. He has held a number of senior positions in the Asia Pacific region, and has worked for some of the world's largest hospitality companies, including Swiss Bell Hotel International, Swiss Hotel Worldwide Partner Hotels, and Choice Hotels International. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with Barry Robinson. Barry, welcome to the Arate podcast. It's great to have you along today. We're sitting in your office down at beautiful surface Paradise, and uh, it's a tremendous day outside. Uh, uh, you were telling me earlier that you've been out for a surf this morning.
1: Yeah, I mean, actually the swell's picked up this morning, which was interesting. I mean, it uh, must be the remnants from the cyclone that's, that's passed through, but uh, looking like a great Easter.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm off to Bluesfest for Easter, and uh, it's be nice to go. One year it's actually all muddy and <laughs> terrible. So, uh, just to begin with, Barry, um, uh, just for the benefit of people listening in, uh, just tell us about your current professional responsibilities.
1: Uh, so, I'm currently president and managing director of uh, Wyndham Hotel Group and Wyndham Vacation Resorts Asia Pacific. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, corporate office here in, in Bundle in the Gold Coast, uh, also in Singapore, Shanghai and now Clark in the Philippines. Okay,
0: great. Yeah. So let's uh, go back to where it all began and tell us a little bit about you know where you were born in early life, mum, dad, growing up, etc.
1: Yeah. Um, so I was born in uh, Auckland, New Zealand um, and uh, at that stage my parents owned furniture factories. So, uh-huh. um, and that was put, passed down through the line. So his, his, my dad's father was in the cabinetry business and right. furniture making business. And uh, dad went overseas and I think studied uh, cabinetry and ran some factories here I think in Australia and then went back and started up his own business. And for whatever uh, reason, at the age of, uh, I think it was about eight, Uh, they decided to sell up the furniture factories and go and buy uh, a hotel or motoring right up the top of the North Island in a place called Kai Tai. Was that
0: sort of a semi-retirement dream for them
1: or? I don't think so he was still young I mean they they were they they were still probably early 40s then yeah early 40s so you know I, I don't know how it really came about, but anyway, that was the that was our entry to the hospitality business. Right, and um,
0: so you lived on the premises.
1: Lived on the premises until they sent me away to boarding school. Okay,
0: uh,
1: you had brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters it was all hands on deck. Right, when we were busy, so okay. we all uh, were uh, put into child labour, <laughs> making beds <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, learning how to waiter, and wait, waiter and waitress, and right. cook and wash dishes and. Uh, so those days it was, um, it was before the you know the the clamp down on the liquor licensing laws mm-hmm. around um, drinking, driving, and so right. on. so there was a, a lot of entertaining taking place sure. um, um, during the week and um, and there was uh, yeah, there was a great learning curve about you know hospitality, service, mm-hmm. uh, long hours, mm-hmm. um, so that was probably when those ethics were ingrained into me. Mm-hmm
0: and then uh you went off to boarding school
1: for yeah then a, I, a high school yeah so i went to boarding school at uh 12 i think or 12 and a half down oh, right. in uh in, in auckland to a place called king's college uh-huh. and uh you know did my five five years there commuting right. back up uh, to home and you know working during the holidays at the the family property and, and you know by that stage through that period you know uh, mum and dad had bought another another property another um, motor in and then they bought one out on a and we developed uh, a place called Reef Lodge out at Rangiputa which was right. up, uh, about 130 acres on the beach, okay. uh, a pristine beach with about a kilometre of beachfront mm-hmm. um, and created a little lodge and sort of hobby farm out there, it was sort of our, our weekender. So you know, I was brought up in a country environment close to the beach and I'm still passionate about You know the beach and surfing and fishing. Um, And do you
0: think that uh, even back in that time of your life, you were excited about a career following your parents' footsteps in the hospitality industry?
1: I think they were excited about it. Okay. I don't know if I was necessarily. I mean the the aim was uh, for us to uh, grow and develop and fall into the family business. Right. but not all families can work together. Yeah, for right? sure. <laughs> um, some better than the others. So I was—I uh, left school and was, you know, sort of shipped myself off over to uh, to Australia, to Melbourne, to study um, at uh, William Angus School of Hospitality in yeah, Melbourne. Right. Um, and and started that with the intention of going back and you know taking over or running the family right. the family business. Uh uh-huh. um, and, and that sort of came to a screaming halt, um, because I was over here in the early days living with my sister who just got married, and she'd married into a, a quite a large uh, transport family okay. that was heavily involved in transport with um, BHP. Uh, and besides working in bars on the weekend, I... Uh, I ended up getting my truck licence. Right. And uh, and driving between Melbourne and Albury on the weekend because uh, you used to get paid cash in those days. Uh, and you could earn probably three times the amount I could earn standing behind a bar for eight hours.
0: And you didn't have to deal with drunks.
1: I didn't have to deal with drunks. Right. Um, but, I, you know, I don't mind socialising in the bar uh, <laughs> now and again. But uh, uh, so I was doing that to support my... Um, education and um, and then I had a uh, an epiphany and decided why don 't I start my own transport business okay and so I got a contract with uh, Nissan uh, to cart overnight freight between Melbourne and Sydney right, and uh, all I needed was um, uh, a truck and a trailer that was going to cost me one hundred and forty thousand dollars yeah. Um, and uh, I had neither of those. Right. So I thought, well. And how old were you at this time? Probably. I was 20, nineteen. Nineteen. Right. Nineteen. Wow. And, uh, and you know, as you do when you think you've got parents that are uh, are really reasonably affluent, yeah. You just ring home and say, hey, you know, I wouldn't mind, you know, I need to need a loan for one hundred and forty thousand. Right. And uh, anyway, that was the first time my dad hung up on me. Uh, um, uh, basically uh, said. Uh, that he wasn't uh, putting me through boarding school and hospitality education to go and be a truck driver. And do you buy think it was also, business.
0: you know, you, his, he had a dream of you coming back into the family business and he was disappointed that you weren't uh, following through on that?
1: Yeah, I think, um, look, he had, he had different images, I mean, uh, um, you uh, know, Anyway, cut a long story short. I, I end up going and raising the money myself, mm-hmm. and uh, and buying the truck and trailer, and started off right. my own business. How know? was
0: a nineteen year? old have
1: raised one hundred and forty grand uh, by having a mate that's a bit older that got a redundancy and buying, borrowing ten grand off off him, and telling the bank the ten grand was my money. Right. Okay. So it was it was interesting in those days. The banks were a little bit more looser. Sure. Um. But look, it paid off for the bank and it paid off for me. So, you know, started off the business. It went well. I uh, ended up having three trucks that were doing mm-hmm. overnight express freight and produce. Up until I sold out of that business in uh, 1988. Yeah, um, and went back into the hospitality business. Mm-hmm. I my parents had. Uh, Sold some of their businesses in New Zealand and had come over to Australia to semi retire, and they bought a motor owner up in Harvey Bay.
0: As a lot of semi retirees yeah, uh, end yeah, up there. Yeah, okay. yeah.
1: So uh, anyway, so I sold my transport business and decided to go into partnership with them to try out, you know, okay, s- to see if we could work together. Right. Um, and that went okay. It didn't, it, it it got a bit messy towards the end. I knew, I, I knew I needed to, uh, it wasn't going to work working uh, with uh, mum long term. So uh, I was fortunate though I met my wife up there in Harvey Bay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we left. Uh, then I went back to New Zealand and thought I'd get into the corporate sector. Okay. Um, and, and that's where my corporate... Background started. so I joined Quality Ends New Zealand Limited, um, and I was with them for a few years as you know, general manager of a couple of their, three of their properties. Um, at the same time, I bought another business, I bought a caravan park.
0: Right, so I was going to ask, I mean, you, you were entrepreneurial at a very young age, yep. and your parents uh, were business owners, yep. so I suppose that choice about, you know, giving up being an owner to go as an employee. It you know, must have been one that you really uh, chewed over for a while. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you still maintained an entrepreneurial orientation by having your own business on the side.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, look, I still have that in me, and I think that's uh, the way I run this business. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, you know, the parent company has been pretty good to let us um, run a fairly free reign. Mm-hmm. Um, But you know we've continuously produced good results over the last 14 years down here. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think that's why I've been with the business so so long. Um, You know, I have other other minor interests, but um, yeah, that entrepreneurial spirit is. I don't think it ever goes. Yeah. So uh, so we you know we we at the same time as I was working, my wife and I owned a caravan park up Mm -hmm. on the top of the North Island and. We should have still kept that thing. It was on the the beach. It was beautiful, but uh, you know, hindsight's love a lovely thing. (laughs) So, uh, so then I sort of moved um, one of the directors of uh, Quali in New Zealand uh, Limited bought a business, bought the Choice franchise in Indonesia, Mm -hmm. and he reached out and said, uh, uh, "You know, Barry." how would you like to come up and open up the first five star clarion hotel in jakarta okay um which was a you know really nice sure. nice offer um so the first thing was i had to figure out what was jakarta and where was it yeah because i hadn't been i had, besides been to australia i hadn't been you know this is back in the early 90s right i right. hadn't i hadn't been to asia yeah didn't know didn't didn't know anything about indonesia um, and so I scrambled and, and in those days you couldn't Google, right? I had to go and get my atlas and pull it out and look where uh, Jakarta was. So anyway we, long story short, went up to Indonesia and was based there for three years mm-hmm. um, and that was the start of my, my Asian experience which I think you know gave me a different perspective and also grounding and rounding um, and So we went from Indonesia to China in the early 90s, um, up in northern China in a place called Chungchung. So it was, say remote, relatively remote. There was still a a heavy uh, communism uh, regimentation up in those days. I mean, Mm -hmm. it hadn't been uh, totally... Uh, developed. I mean, though it was in the early stages of modernisation, you know, especially in Beijing and, and, and Shanghai, they were ahead, but this was a, a place called Chung, so that, that was actually really challenging up there. And so Three how years. do you
0: find uh, I mean, people kind of stereotype doing business in Australia and New Zealand as being the same, but I imagine there are some distinct differences, and then people doing business in Southeast Asia are the same, mm. but I think, you know, Singapore and and oh, um, sorry, um, uh, Indonesia and China are very different businesses and very different cultures. And so, how how did you, in terms of your own leadership style and your own way of um, you know managing yourself, how, how did you uh, consciously adjust to suit you know the, the various places that you were? Well,
1: was actually I was I was really young com- right. comparatively in those days. So yeah, and I actually looked young. Right. Um, or or younger than I than I was, and um, I don't know if I've maintained that, but uh, <laughs> uh, I think I had to, you know, like I probably do more so now, but probably subconsciously, I had to be uh, adjustable, right, and and resilient. I mean, it was, uh, you know, back in in those days in China was when you had. Um, deputy general managers or shadow managers that basically shadowed you yep. so I had two people that were shadowing me that worked for me mm-hmm. but uh, when I reported to the board they sat on the board okay. so it was a very complex sure. situation uh, and then you have you know on top of that you have the language issue so yep. um, I was scrambling to learn Mandarin mm-hmm. I had coaches and tutors and everything was done through translators and, uh, and, you know, also, you know, just, just sort of learning the cultural di- differences. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, a, it was a big learning curve. I mean, you know, it taught me a lot about patience, you know, to, and, and uh, some people may think I'm not that patient now, but I was a lot less patient. Right. Uh, um, so I think, th- you know, it's, you know, and, and we talk a lot about China and, and the opportunity there. There is, if you look at the number of people, but it's not as easy as people think it is, even now. And, oh, and for we're, sure. We're, we're you, know, you know, 20 years since I, since I lived there.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and, and it's, it's tra- changed massive, mm-hmm. massively. You know, before, when I was up there, it was, you know, most people went and stayed in guest houses, mm-hmm. not in hotels if you were workers. Most of the companies were still under the communist regime, Mm -hmm. Um, and most people didn't have uh, motor vehicles. They had push bikes, Mm -hmm. Um, but you know you've seen the flip side on that. You know the the abundance of motor vehicles, the um, the growth in the middle class Mm -hmm. has been exponential. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm really fascinated by it. Mm,
0: Absolutely. I uh, did an MBA in the early two thousands, and we went to China uh, as part of that, and, to, and went and met with many, many Australian businesses there, from you know big four banks through to uh, smaller organisations, and I think that. You know, there is this thought of, there's such a massive population there, it's basically a license to print money, but there's been many, many Western companies that have gone there and returned with their tail between their legs. 100%. I've seen
1: a lot of American companies come down and and do that, especially up up where I was, because it was where um, Audi and Volkswagen manufacturing plant uh, was. And that's a a joint venture Mm -hmm. between Audi and uh, FAW, First Automobile Works. So, um, yeah, you really need to do your homework. Um, and, and so we have, we've got a busy, you know, a small... We're, we're growing in there slowly at the moment. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. being cautious.
0: And so how long were you actually on the ground there?
1: Three years okay. in China. Yeah. And then
0: what happened after that? Uh,
1: then I went back to... Uh, my wife gave birth to our first child, All not right. in China. Okay. Uh, so uh, we thought it was time to, to, to move... move Back somewhere which was a little bit more advanced. Yeah. So we moved back into Indonesia, okay. right? Yep. And um, we were there at the time when uh, the Suharto overthrow took place. Right. Um, and my wife and and son got uh, evacuated out of there at that at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got approached by Choice Hotels to run Choice Hotels for. Um, Asia Pacific out of, out of Singapore Okay, um, and so that was right. our move to Singapore and we
0: another completely different culture again
1: yeah well, I mean you know Singapore's um, easy right Singapore's great Singapore's like you know besides the beaches but you know you, you, it's the same as living in Australia it's yeah. very organised it's very structured um, it's great if you're bringing up young kids because mm-hmm. uh, you can actually have domestic support up there as mm-hmm. well it's it's a fantastic location to have a corporate uh, office that's covering the region mm-hmm. uh, just because of the access i think it's probably the best one of the best airports in the world to right. get in and out of yeah um, and you know just just timeliness and everything yeah. so yeah. so that worked really well for us and we migrated back to australia because we bought uh, a company um, called flagho uh, flag inns in yeah. those days um, and so I came back down here to um, basically uh, cement that acquisition and uh, so re- rebrand those. Flag. Yeah, right. So we had a small shareholding in it, okay. and I was on the board, commuting yeah. backwards and forwards to Singapore, mm-hmm. and put a proposal to the board to buy uh, the the group out. Right, um, and that was like, that took a, you know, a year and a half to to do that acquisition, and then. Then the next step was to come down and convince, because it was a, it was a cooperative, so to convince as many as we could to rebrand under the mm-hmm. one of the choice brands, which was Clarion Quality or Comfort, mm-hmm. um, and there's two two hundred something hotels I think, those, okay. or properties, those yeah. those um, and those uh, were properties. Yes, and so so that's how we came back to back to Australia, mm-hmm. um, and then I was uh, approached by uh, what what is uh, or what was. Sendant Corporation um, which is part of Wyndham now or was part of Wyndham so Sendent Corporation was a Fortune 100 mm-hmm. um, and they owned Avis and Budget rent cars they owned Century 21, Codwell Bankers ERA, they owned all the hotel brands that we have now under the, well most of them 80% of the hotel brands that are under the current Wyndham Worldwide umbrella yep. um, and so I joined them Right uh, here is and um, uh, just running to join them to take over their vacation ownership business. Okay.
0: Uh, I mean, I'm keen to think, talk through some of the key milestones. But mm. um, uh, in the sense of the global operation, are they looking to Australia as a bit of a thought leader for the business?
1: Well, I mean, we're we're in the scheme of things, we're a lot smaller, right? So we can right. be a lot more agile and try okay. try um, things and. Yeah, I'm probably, well, I am the only leader in the business that runs both divisions, hotel and vacation ownership, and typically in the past, they would have someone that's had experience in vacation ownership being the CEO of a vacation ownership business. So I'm a little bit of an enigma uh, to some degree.
0: Is that because of the tyranny of distance or because of your skill set?
1: Um, look, I think they t- possibly took a gamble in the beginning stages and, you know, uh, fortunately uh, the team and I have been able to you know, prove that we've been able to deliver consistent great results through all sorts of scenarios, you know. We've been through the financial crisis, yep. um, you know, they're, they're, they're claiming down the credit regime, um, so it, it's not as if it's just been a, a dream run. We've actually yeah. had to be creative and, mm-hmm. and work for our money. And I think a lot of that is, um, you know, in the, in the early days I found it um, quite difficult, probably in the first three years, because I wasn't from the industry mm-hmm. and there was a lot of people in our business that had been Mm-hmm. And with the industry for a long long time so here was a young buck 38 years old CEO of a business coming in that supposedly knew nothing about it mm-hmm. that were wanting wanting to shift the bar and make all these changes and so there's learning from both right. I was possibly a little bit too aggressive okay. possibly yeah. Um, but you know also uh, you know, I, I wanted to stick to my vision my game mm-hmm. plan mm-hmm. and unfortunately. Uh, you know, I, I held court, and um, and you know over over the and it's taken a long time over the 14 years. I've got a great group of people that have either evolved through the business mm-hmm. or have been brought in that understand where we're going, mm-hmm. understand the vision, and you know our main mantra at the moment is you know creating personalised and memorable experiences. Mm-hmm. So for me life is about the experience whether you're going to get a cup of coffee or engaging with a recruitment company or whatever it is you're you're remembering that experiencing Absolutely. that you're having with that individual and um, and so we do a lot of talking about that mm-hmm. in our business and we do a lot about you know again i i i sort of did a flip about maybe seven years ago you know we would always talk about Growing the business and growing the Wyndham brand, mm-hmm. and uh, and 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 I sort of was reflecting and saying, well, we're we as individuals, as people, we're actually pretty selfish, and it's really about us. You, know? you mean in general? No, generally everyone, everyone. I mean, if you if you honestly reflect on yourself, yep. you want to. You know, first of all, you want to know what's good for you, sure. You know? And so it's, so I was sort of saying to myself well it 's not really about you know do people really come to work work and think about how do I grow the Wyndham brand, mm-hmm. or are people really coming to work and thinking about them themselves about you know are they going to get paid what 's their next promotion, yeah. are they being um, um, trained and developed properly and so on mm-hmm. So we talk a lot about personal brand and protecting your own individual personal brand and what mm-hmm. is your individual personal brand value?" And, and how you grow that. And which has changed the, the culture around in the sense of uh, it's less hierarchical management because we talk a lot about teams yeah. and making sure that the people that are on your team mm-hmm. are enhancing your own individual personal mm-hmm. brand. And if they're not, then they're brand detractors, mm-hmm. right? And it shouldn't take just the manager or supervisor to either. Help develop that person, or move them out of the business. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Yeah,
0: yeah uh, uh, I used to work for a boss, and he would uh, deliberately ask all of the people in the team, "What are your three main motivations for coming to work?" You know, and if he felt that if he didn't understand that, that he couldn't make sure that he was accommodating. And every individual has different motivations for coming to Correct. work. You know, it's that sort of Maslow hierarchy of needs. For some, it's just make a salary to allow me to go surfing on the weekend and for others it's much more altruistic or, you know, uh, more considered than that. Um, Just coming back to, I mean, you were driving a very new vision and Mm -hmm. new strategy in your businesses compared to what was happening globally. Were you looking outside of your industry, for examples, of where other industries were doing it in a way that you thought, oh, I can adopt that and bring it across into this business?
1: I think... um I think to some degree i 'm a good copier
0: yeah
1: right? or a or, uh, or reasonable copier in the sense of I, you know, I look at, uh, you know, I take in a lot and I analyze it and I pick bits and pieces out of things and merge mm-hmm. them so you know, and i'm always and the team you know will probably testify to this i 'm always challenging the norm mm-hmm. So I like to be, I mean, that's sort of built in me. I like to be creative. I like us to be different. Um, But also, I don't like to complicate things too much. And our industry is relatively simple. And I don't think anyone's got it perfect yet. Mm -hmm. And the perfectness is ultimately just about the people. And we say it a lot. But how much effort do we actually put into it? So as to compare to the other things that we're doing within the business, like whether we're building a program or implementing a new strategy versus the time and effort we put into recruitment and training and Mm -hmm. ensuring that you have the right candidate. So we've put a lot lot of effort into, you know, we've developed our own psychometric tool, tool, um, that we keep on tweaking, mm-hmm. um, with a you know a couple of doctorates in human psychology that helped us develop that, and um, we've we've also implemented and and forcing it through the business. I've used the word forcing in a nice way, committee style recruitment. Uh-huh. So you know, gone are the days where um, if you're a supervisor of a call center or whatever, you're the one that's recruiting the person. No. Mm-hmm. We want line people as part of that committee. Mm -hmm. If if I'm recruiting for another executive team member, I'll have besides the recruitment company, I'll have external specialists in a field. I'll have different people at different levels of my business involved in that recruitment. And um, we're getting better of explaining this up front because Mm -hmm. it's an elongated process. Mm -hmm. You know they may, an individual may go through seven or eight interviews Mm -hmm. Um, and we try and make it as comfortable as possible but it's really about two things. One, making sure that the individual understands who we are and what they're getting into and the type of culture so the more people they they meet but us really um, picking out different bits and pieces of what people see because, you know, I don't profess to be the best recruiter either, but I'm going to listen and see things differently to, you know, my HR person that may be sitting next to me or, you know, my CFO or whatever. We're all going to pick up different aspects. Mm -hmm. And so then we analyse it. And, look, we've seen a huge impact in that in the sense of um, uh, stability, Mm -hmm. uh, retention, so you've got
0: some uh, quantifiable metrics around, through implementing these strategies, we've had improvement in retention yeah. X or whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. Right, okay, fantastic. And uh, is that something that was developed internally or did you see examples of that externally and you thought, I'd like to adopt that in the business?
1: Uh, no, this is, it. this is basically internally. Right. That, that was developed inter- internally. I mean, the thing that was expanded on externally is you know we introduced another member to the executive team about three years ago, who's our head of customers, um, customer experience or okay. customer service, um, Adam Geneve, and he's responsible for all tra- touch points right. of our consumers, yep. whether it's uh, a hotel vacation owner, a consumer finance person, a travel mm-hmm. person, or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and he has a, a uh, customer resolutions team, and then he has a development team mm-hmm. that is out there reanalyzing different parts of the business as to how we take it to the next level. Right. And sometimes that means breaking the, the, the whole sector down mm-hmm. and re recruiting mm-hmm. and starting from scratch.
0: Interesting. Mm-hmm. And I, I note from um, uh, looking at your CV, I mean, you're somebody that's been very committed to ongoing. Education for yourself. Yep. Uh, you've done lots of interesting things, including uh, going to Harvard and uh, and other programs. Being involved in uh, you know these CEO type groups, YPO, etc. Yep. How much has that had an influence on your own professional development uh, as a leader, as well as you know consideration of strategy, etc.
1: I think um, as an individual, or as a, as a leader, you need to be open to continually re-energizing yourself and redeveloping yourself mm-hmm. and you know, I, I'm not an academic you know, I, I you know, didn't enjoy school mm-hmm. um, it was a necessity that I had to go basically um, and um, so, so you know, to be able to go to, to warden and Harvard you know later on in life when i was open to it and and to attend courses that interested me mm-hmm. so you know the courses you know that i attended at warden and and um, harvard were case studies about businesses and about um, things that uh, had been game changers for a mm-hmm. sector or about where people saw the economy heading and and why it was heading that way and the, and the thought process that went behind that. So that type of thing stimulates me. So, you know, I, I'm not a big reader outside of uh, the work environment besides, mm-hmm. you know, the financial review or because I read so much, you know, within the business sure. environment. Um, but I do enjoy, you know... Books like you know Richard Branson's The mm-hmm. um, History of Virgin, yeah. uh, GE Jack Welsh, yeah. um, and so if you have I got things out of those books, yeah. Mm-hmm. Have I um, utilized or leveraged things out of Jack Welsh's book? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, looking at people that have uh, changed their sector, it fascinates me. Mm-hmm. I get really excited about that and listening to. The, those type of individuals
0: and participating in groups like ypo ypo
1: is great i mean ypo is a fantastic organization because you've got a bunch of successful people that um a lot of them have grown their own business Mm -hmm. um and you know it brings you down to earth because everyone's been sort of successful in their own right so no one's the top pin so to speak and uh And it teaches you how to listen more, how to provide um, uh, um, experiences without providing uh, direction. Mm -hmm. Um, So they really focus on, uh, rather than you telling someone what you think they should be doing, Mm -hmm. you've got to provide an experience as to, uh, hey, I've been through this scenario, this is what happened to me, versus saying, Hey, you know, why don't you do it this way? Yeah, Um, Yeah. and uh, so it's it's been a really really uh, useful tool Mm -hmm. um, because it's highly confidential. uh, You're able to uh, open up and bounce ideas off everyone in a in a closed environment. That and and you're you're, um in your forum groups, you're all from different sectors, Mm -hmm. so no one has. Um, a, 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 a specific specialty in your sector. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're giving you some good clarity from an independent perspective. Sure. And uh, so I've, I've found that really good. Well, I've
0: had uh, plenty of guests on the podcast for uh, YPO. John Wagner, uh, oh, yeah, and, John. Uh, incredibly successful, yep. and Tom from Equal Boy Pizzas. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, I'm very familiar with uh, the cohorts and the you know the uh, way you're able to support each other to succeed. Yep. Let's look to the future now. I mean, you've been in your role now for thirteen, fourteen years. Yep. Uh, what are you excited about for the business and for yourself personally? You know, if you look to the next sort of five to ten years down the track.
1: Um. What I'm ex- I mean, my team. Mm-hmm. First of all, I think. Uh, we're moulding an exceptional team here, and to continue that like-mindedness about you know creating personalised and memorable experiences, and that's not just for our customers, that's for our staff and for our suppliers. Mm-hmm. So we've, we're we we're, we're covering all those gamuts, which sometimes I think, as leaders, we forget about. Yep. I mean, we we take for granted the the uh, the benefit that suppliers can give you when they're really truly engaged and understand your business mm-hmm. and 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 feel appreciated versus mm-hmm. just feel like someone delivering the milk. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited about the opportunity of the exponential exponential growth we've got up in Asia, mm-hmm. um, and the continued growth that we're ha- having down here. Um, I believe that this product that, that we're developing and going to evolve the lifestyle solution is, I think it's going to be a game changer for us. So mm-hmm. I think in the next Within the next three years it will be a totally different product and if we get our service right which I believe we will it will be a product that people will be wanting to seek because mm-hmm. there will be so much value with the, because what we've grown is we've grown this database Basically, we're growing a database of owners in the vacation ownership, plus an extended um, database, and therefore, once that continues to grow, our, le- our leverage factor from discounts of all different areas um, is going to provide us with a tool that will com- accommodate a variety of people and a variety mm-hmm. of needs. Mm-hmm. So, so well,
0: I suppose at the end of the day. Um, we want more and more convenience now, don't we? And uh, and we really want to conserve our time, uh, so much of it being burned frivolously through social media and other things, so if you're able to provide a solution which um, gives people convenience and allows them to save time, then it, that's definitely worth the premium. Yeah, uh, That must be quite exciting. And what about in terms of your own career?
1: Yeah, I know, it's a, it's a, that's um, interesting because, you know, when I first joined the business, I normally as CEO, you think three to five years, um, but it's because the business is so dynamic. Um, we've got businesses within businesses, so you know here, you know we have our own travel agency. We construct um, when we're um, um, buying or building vacation ownership um, uh, properties. We've got the hotel division that's growing exponentially um, up in Asia. We've just launched our vacation ownership business in, in Thailand. Um, so there's probably not – there's never a dull moment. Right. We've uh, launched um, a, a fully-owned subsidiary in, in Clark Air Force Base in the Philippines. Okay. Um, which we're growing our service arm um, up there, which is managed by our staff. So it's not an outsourced center mm-hmm. Um and so I think while it still stimulates me I mean I, I, I talk to the, the team a lot and uh, you know, I seem to be getting more excited each year which, 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 which isn't what you'd be thinking you'd be thinking well am I bored of it and I'm not so right. when I get bored you know, that's when I'll, when, when I'll move on but at, at this stage you know, I'm still growing the legacy I still mm-hmm. want to grow a legacy uh, and I want to, I want to be able to change before I leave our business. I want the vacation ownership business to be something different. Mm-hmm. So. Uh,
0: a big uh, proportion of the audience for this podcast are aspiring CEOs and mm. executive directors. Um, you've spoken a lot about the, the things that have enabled you to succeed, and uh, but if you were to distill some of your key learnings in your career that you'd pass on to those people, uh, to assist them in you know getting to their job of choice in the future what would you say
1: well you've got to be you know, first of all you've got to be passionate about what you do I mean you can luck it out for for a short period of time but it's going to catch catch up with you mm-hmm. I think um, uh, you know you don't do, I mean, you don't sit at the top without extreme hard work. Mm-hmm. And to extend yourself further, uh, or, 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 or uh, how can I put it? I'll put it another way. I think you, um, uh, at least for me anyway, I continue to challenge myself. Um, I continue. I've got better at at it. I think over the last ten years of reflecting, mm-hmm. and I think people don't do that enough. Okay. Um, and you know, just analysing. So I continually ask people, ask my team, if I'm doing a talk, a speech, or you know, dealt with an issue, could have I done it differently? Uh-huh. And I think that's how you grow. Mm. You know? And as soon as you stop doing that, then maybe you become stagnated. Right. Um, but, you know, talking to my team here, I mean, I'm, I'm, there's a lot more smarter people in my organisation than, than I am mm-hmm. um, or out there in, in the business sector. Um, but maybe they're not willing to commit as much or maybe right. they're not willing to go the extra mile sure. or do that extra trip or be away from the family mm-hmm. you know uh, for an extra day or two days mm-hmm. or engaging at a at a function or going out for the seventh dinner in a row mm-hmm. or...
0: Do you feel that you've sacrificed personal for professional or have you been able to maintain a reasonably good um, uh, uh, balance?
1: No I've uh, I'm definitely 100% uh, uh, sacrificed Right. Family, have pressure. I got better at that? Yeah, I think uh, when my son was, uh, my oldest son was nine, or um, nearly ten. Yep, that was when I got um, the first kick in the backside. Right, because uh, I was going to go to one of his games, and he said to me, "Oh, Dad, you never turn up at anything anyway." Well, okay. and so that was that was an enlightening factor mm. for me. So I am very passionate about. Getting a balance, and yeah. I push this with my team. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want my my team members at any level to be able to get out of the business and go and watch their daughters or sons' swimming race, or to see their their soccer game or rugby game, and then catch up with their work later, or yeah. do it you know at night or whatever it may mm-hmm. be. I mean, work goes on, but I think you need to provide that, that that flexibility. And I've I don't want people to fall into the trap that I did mm-hmm. that. Uh, so, you know, I'm uh you know, it's, it's sort of a little bit late for me, me now, but I have, you know, my younger son benefited more from it. So yeah. I, I I where possible mm-hmm. have made it to a lot more events than I did in that uh that earlier stage. But you never get by I mean, actually we talked about it at my town hall just at Christmas. What is balance? Mm-hmm. Right? So balance for you is probably different than oh, balance for, balance for me, yeah. you know? So I like to be active. Mm -hmm. I like to go for my surf in the morning. I I don't mind um, uh, traveling. I don't, you know, obviously I don't, you know, it's not a passion of mine to be away from the family. Mm -hmm. But I enjoy growing the business. I enjoy. I get excited about Mm -hmm. business. If I was just sitting at home, my wife wouldn't have me at home. Sure.
0: Yeah, I think uh, we use the term work-life flexibility rather than balance because, as you say, balance assumes that work and non-work has to be in balance yeah. whereas it's much more around that flexibility you can go yep. to the game yep and you, you can log on at night and do what you need to do well look our uh, last question before i uh let you get on with your day barry uh, we've spoken a lot about work today uh other than surfing what are the things that you enjoy doing when you're not at work to keep you uh vital and the petrol tank full
1: yeah so i uh into my yoga oh yeah which uh I'll probably, I've got a session in about 15 minutes. Okay. So I'm into into fitting in my yoga. Um, You know, I try and do the gym two to three times a week. Right. And then obviously I do it more when I'm on the road. Um, And then when I'm here on the Gold Coast, I take, uh, you know, make good use of the environment and I like to get into the surf as much as possible. Um, I'm a keen skier. Yeah. Um, And... I used to fly, but I, I haven't flown for years. You were so. a pilot. I yeah, was when okay. I was up in uh, Harvey Bay, but um, wow. but that that would uh, the books would need dusting off now. Uh huh. And as somebody
0: who's in the holiday business, you know yeah. where's the favourite place to holiday?
1: Hmm. Well, when my kids were younger, Fiji actually, and um, in, in Fiji was you mm-hmm. know it was a good. Uh, quick short getaway the Fijian people uh, are fantastic mm-hmm. uh, but I love the South Island of New Zealand uh-huh. even though I'm a Kiwi yeah and uh, not being parochial but it's it's a beautiful part of the world yeah um, and so I enjoying getting that down there um, as much as I can and now as a family we're trying to explore we've done a lot of America I mean my latest passion is although the unrest is making it a little bit um, unsettling but my great latest passion is Europe you know right. exploring as much of sure. Europe as possible yeah. there's a lot of history and I like Absolutely. the culture up there it's great
0: oh that's fantastic well look Barry I really appreciate your time today and uh, have a fantastic afternoon
1: no thanks Richard Pre- appreciate you coming down thank you great. very much okay
0: Well, thanks again for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Barry. I'm looking forward to having you along for future episodes of the Arrate podcast. And in the meantime, have a fantastic week.